right, well, once again, let me tell you, I'm thrilled you're here. We're going to pick up this morning in our study of the book of Revelation, chapter 18. So why don't you turn there, if you would, if you didn't receive a study sheet when you came in. Let's uh, take care of that item of business. Get your hand up right now, and one of our ushers will get one of those for you. It'll help you as we go through today to see the train of thought and understand some of the, the sequence that God lays out for us here in Revelation chapter 18. All right, now you get your place, get your Bible open to Revelation 18, get your study sheet, and, and let's, let's begin to move. Now, Revelation chapter 18 is really a continuation of thought. In chapter 17, and we spent quite a few weeks there, we saw the judgment of Babylon. Now, in Revelation chapter 18, we see what we're calling today the destruction of Babylon. The destruction of Babylon. Now, I think that most of you that are dialed into the teaching of the Word of God, I think you would understand that to God... Babylon is a very important city. In fact, in the book that we call the Bible, the, the city of Babylon is mentioned some 294 times specifically by the name Babylon. There are many other references to, to Babylon in there, but specifically, the word Babylon, the city of Babylon, is referred to some 294 times, much more than any other city in the Bible with the exclusion, of course, of Jerusalem. This is a very, very important city, and one of the reasons it's so important is because of the things that we're going to see that are going to unfold in this city in the very near future in Revelation chapter 18. But to really understand this chapter, what we've got to do is we've got to take Revelation chapter 18 and what actually takes place here, and we've got to take that and place it into the context of the entire Bible. Now, listen, once you do that, once you see how Revelation 18 fits into the entire Bible, the rest of it is just a matter of the details. So let's just kind of make sure we understand how this book fits into the sequence of everything that God has laid out for us in His Word. Now in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, what God does is He lays down for us an incredible principle about how it is that history actually unfolds. God says this, the thing that hath been, okay, now obviously he's talking about that which is in the past, we refer to that as history. The thing that hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And then he concludes all of it by saying, and there is no new thing under the sun. And the basic principle, if you can't understand all of that, what God is actually saying here is that history repeats itself. And what you got to understand is what takes place, as God says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, what we see take place in Revelation chapter 18 is no new thing. This is all, this has all happened before. Now that's what the Ecclesiastes 1-9 principle says. It's all happened before. So let's just see if we can't understand that. You see, if you're going to understand this description of the destruction of Babylon in Revelation 18, there's some things you've got to understand. You see, in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 14, the Bible talks about a time in eternity past when a king by the name of Lucifer, now listen to it very carefully, he sat on a throne on the earth. 
And there came a day when he sought to unify the earth's inhabitants, who were called sons of God. He sought to unify them religiously and politically in a kingdom of rebellion against God, whereby they might ascend into heaven and sit where God sits. Now, if you take that out of the equation, you'll never understand Revelation 18, because you see, along comes the Word of God in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 11, and and, and chapter 11, Genesis 10 and 11, and what you find here is that there is a king, this one by the name of Nimrod, whose name means rebellion, and what you see him doing in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 is he is seeking, listen to it now, he is seeking to unify the world religiously and politically in a kingdom of rebellion against God where ultimately what their goal was was to ascend into heaven to sit where God sits totally apart from God. That kingdom that Nimrod was establishing was a kingdom that we call what? Babylon or Babel. What we're going to see here in Revelation chapter 18, we see it in chapter 17 and 18, is that in the next couple of years, after the Lord has removed those of us who have entered into a personal relationship with Him, will be removed in an event that we refer to as the rapture. And what's going to happen on the earth is there is going to be a king who is going to appear on the scene once again, a king whose name is biblically Antichrist, that is, he is a king of rebellion against God. And what is he seeking to do, y'all? What he's seeking to do is he's seeking to unify the world religiously and politically in a kingdom of rebellion against God. And ultimately what they want to do is they want to call God out so that they can dethrone God, so they can sit where God sits. And this is going to be in what we call, and what the Bible refers to in in chapter 16 and 17, as the battle of Armageddon. So you see, if you're going to understand what's going on here, you got to know your history. And what God says is if you want to know what's going to happen in the future, just look back over your shoulder and see what has already happened, because what's going to happen in the future has already unfolded. So it's very important as we get started here that we understand how this fits into the context of the entire Bible. But now let's talk more specifically about how Revelation 18 fits into the context of the entire book of Revelation. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, we've been looking at this Babylon in Revelation chapter 17. We've been looking at that for several weeks. Now we're coming to where the Bible is talking about Babylon in chapter 18, but the Babylon of Revelation chapter 18 is not the same as the Babylon of Revelation chapter 17. Now this, that sounds real confusing. What? The Babylon of 18 isn't the same as the Babylon of 17? You know what? It's, it's really very simple to understand if you understand that there's five key differences that we're going to see here. Number one, The first difference is that it is a different time. It is a different time. Look at chapter 17 and verse 1. What it says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had 
the seven vials and talked with me. And now look at chapter 18 and verse 1. It says, And after these things I saw another angel come down. So obviously it's not the same event. It's a, it's a different time. Okay. Number two, it has a different name. It has a different name. In chapter 17 and verse 5, it is called Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. In chapter 18 and verse 2, it's simply referred to as Babylon the Great. The third difference is it is a different destruction. It is a different destruction. In chapter 17 and verse 16, the Babylon of chapter 17 is destroyed by the beast and his ten horns. And of course, we've seen that the ten horns are the ten kings of what we're believing is the European common market or, or the, the ten kings that make up that confederacy. But the destruction of the, the Babylon in chapter 18 and verse 9, nine, she is destroyed by God Himself, So the beast destroys the one, and, and this ten-king confederacy, confederacy destroys the Babylon of chapter 17. The one in chapter 18 is destroyed by God Himself. Number four, it brings a different response. Chapter 17 and verse 16, what it shows us is that the ten kings hate her, this Babylon, and they desolate her. In chapter 18 and verse 9, what you see is that the ten kings love her, this Babylon, and they lament her desolation. You see, it can't be the same one. They can't, at one, on one hand, be destroying her because of all the hate, and, and on the other hand, be mourning and lamenting because she's been desolated. And then number five, this Babylon in chapter 17, as opposed to the one in verse, or chapter 18, is a different form. It's a different form of Babylon. Revelation 17 is a mystery form of Babylon. What we've seen is a religious system, a religious system. The Babylon of chapter 18 is a literal form of Babylon, a commercial system that is found represented in a specific city. So it is a different time a different name, a different destruction, a different response, and a different form. So if you'll understand that as we begin to move into chapter 18, I think it'll help you to understand. We're not talking about the religious system any longer. Now we're talking about that one world governmental or political commercial system. And God is going to bring that system down. It will be destroyed. And let's look, Roman numeral 1 on your study sheet, let's look at the reason for Babylon's destruction. The reason for Babylon's destruction. And John gives three of them here in the first three verses. And the first reason for the destruction of Babylon is because of the impurity of her sin. Because of the impurity of her sin. Now let's pick up, look with me in verse 1. John says, And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. 
And because of the description that's given there, there are many commentators that believe that this is actually a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ because as we'll see in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 23, what it says is that in the, the city that we will one day be moving toward, it has no need of the sun nor the light of the moon to shine it for, because of the glory of God, it says, will lighten it. And it says, and the Lamb is the light. And whether you believe that this is the Lord Jesus Christ or not, it is very clear that this angel is coming directly from the presence of God. This angel has, most assuredly, the power of God. And John says in verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice. And so what I want you to see here is that once this angel comes into the scene, there's nobody that's going to miss the fact that he's here because he's going to light the entire earth and nobody's going to miss hearing him either because he, he cries mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. He, he, he repeats it, of course, for, for emphasis. He just likes saying it. He just likes to say, This dirty, stinking, rotten system is fallen. Did you hear that? This dirty, stinking, rotten system is fallen. That, that's, that's the idea that, that, of this angel that's, that's coming in. And, and here's the impurity of her sin. And has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now listen. All over the earth this morning and within the earth's atmosphere, if God would somehow give us eyes to see into that dimension that we cannot see with physical eyes this morning, I believe with all of my heart, we would all be freaked out. I think if God would allow you to see the battle that is going on above your head today in this very room, I think everybody in this room would be hanging on to the pew in front, listening to every word that's going on because there's something major going on. Listen, there's lots of demons, lots of devils, all in the midst of the entire world today. What God is saying is at this point in the tribulation period, listen, every single one of them is going to converge in that one specific little area on the globe every one of them and not only the ones that that are here right now but would you would you go back to chapter 9 with me for a second uh, let me it's been a little while since we were in chapter 9 let me show you what happened at the sounding of the fifth the trumpet it says and the fifth angel sounded and i saw a star fall from heaven uh, uh, unto the earth and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit and he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it doesn't give us a number, but what it shows us here is the demonic forces, what we called the demonic scorpion locusts as we were there. The bottomless pit is going to open up, and every one of them... 
is going to converge at this point to this place that is called Babylon. And not only that, go look over in chapter 12. In chapter 12, what it does is records for us the battle that's going to be taking place in the middle part of the tribulation between Michael and Satan. We talked about that last week. And if you'll look back at verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And what we're going to find is at that point, there are other demon spirits that are also going to be coming forth. And again, they are all going to converge on this one specific place on the globe in Babylon. So all of the impurity, all of the unclean spirits, all of the devils are going to converge there. And God says, that's the first reason for destruction. But the impurity doesn't stop there. Look at verse 3. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth. Okay, now, and what's implied there is all of them. Look again. For all nations have drunk of the wine of her wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth, all the kings of the earth, have committed fornication with her and the merchants, and again, implied is all of them, all of the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And what you have here is God's description of how He views how it will be that during the tribulation period, Babylon in this commercial system will seduce the nations and the leaders and the leaders of the economic system of the world in that last half of the tribulation period. What God says here is that they're all going to be intoxicated with materialism as if it were a wild sexual addiction. The, 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 the passion for the riches represented in Babylon, he says, they'll be intoxicated with it. And they'll crawl into her bed to commit fornication with her. Sounds exactly what, like what James was talking about in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Listen to it now in this context. He said, Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together, check it out, for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye, ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. And God says, and a day of slaughter is exactly what you're going to receive. So John shows us, first of all, that Babylon will be destroyed because of the impurity of her sin. And then secondly, he shows us in verses 4 through 6 of Revelation 18 that she will be destroyed because of the immensity of her sin. Because of the immensity of her sin. John says in verse 4, look at it, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people! that ye be not partaker, partakers of her sins 
and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. God's going to destroy Babylon, he says here, because of the immensity of her sin. Would you look back at verse 5 again? He says that her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. And what's interesting is that if you'll remember in that kingdom that we were talking about earlier that Nimrod was seeking to establish on the earth where Babylon had its beginning, do you guys remember what the goal was? In Genesis chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, look at it. Here it is. This is all the people unified in that one world system back then. They said, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name. Well, buddy, they made them a name. The name is Babylon. And what God tells us in Revelation 18.5 is that God has never forgotten it. And you remember, look at what, it, what they wanted to do. They wanted to reach unto heaven. And you know what's going to happen in the tribulation period? They're finally going to achieve their goal. It's going to happen. But not through this tower. What he says... Your sins, what you're doing with your sins. And this has been, listen, the Tower of Babel has never stopped being built through sin like one brick upon another. That kingdom continues to be built to this very hour. And during the tribulation period, God's going to say, Hey, you've done it! It's actually happened. You got what you wanted, man. Your sins have reached unto heaven. And you know what, y'all? It's pretty scary. Because you see, sometimes God gives you exactly what you want, but what you want becomes the very thing that leads to your destruction. And you got that laid out for you right here in Revelation chapter 18. The Bible says that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of destruction. You see, this is what's been going on in Babylon. They got their own little way going on. Like a lot of the folks, no doubt, in this room. The Bible says that all of us have turned to our own way. And you need to understand... If you get what you want, you will receive the same thing that Babylon is going to get. And destruction. Destruction. But you know, one of, the greatest, one of the greatest truths and one of the greatest promises in the entire Bible 
is found in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. Look at it. I, God says, listen, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions, not for your sake, for mine own sake. Because God is a gracious, loving, merciful God. What he has chosen to do is allow us the ability to have our transgressions, our sins, blotted out through the blood of Jesus Christ. And once that happens in your life, look at the rest of the verse. And will not remember thy sins. Hallelujah, baby. But do understand something. If you continue in your own way, your sins, just like those of Babel, will reach unto heaven and they will be your destruction. God will not forget. And notice in verse 6, her sin is so immense, the angel says, the only way she can ever really get what she deserves, he says, is to give her double. Let her reap double is what he's saying. That which she has sowed. He says, reward her even as she rewarded you. And double under her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled. And, and if you've been here for our study, you know that that's the way that God has described what Babylon has done and the filth of Babylon. He says, they're filling it up in a cup. And what this angel says is, take that cup that she's been filling for all of these centuries and dump out all of that trash and with your wrath, fill it to her, he says, double. Because that's what she deserves. And then John shows us a third reason for her destruction in verses 7 and 8. Not only because of the impurity of her sin and not only because of the immensity of her sin, but let her see because of the impenitence of her sin. Because of the impenitence of her sins. In other words, because of her refusal to repent. And what God shows us here is that she, this Babylon, she parades herself in this unbelievable pride. Like she's it. She's all that. She's untouchable. He says, look at it, verse 7. How much she hath glorified herself and live deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. Look at how she's lived all of this time and give her just what she's been asking for. That's what he's crying out for. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day. Death and mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. Check it out. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And what you see here is that this attitude that, that Babylon will have at this period of time in the tribulation period is, again, it's not something new. This is the way that Babylon has operated all along, and it's why God is so absolutely cheesed at Babylon. That's why he calls for her destruction. Way back in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was talking about this same arrogant, 
egotistical attitude that she had in Isaiah 47, verses 7 and 8. And thou saidst, I shall be a lady forever, so that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. What God's saying is, you parade yourself like you're it, and you don't ever even think about the consequences of where you're heading with this. Therefore, hear now this. Now hear this. Now hear this. Thou art given to pleasures that dwellest carelessly. You just do whatever you want to do. That sayest in thine heart, I am. And none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. Let me tell you something. What she's saying, I'm so bad. I've got it so together. Nothing can ever touch me. I will never mourn. I'll never know loss. In Psalm 137, in verse 8, it says, O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, Happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. There's coming a day of joy, y'all. And that one that is going to destroy her is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 14 and 15, it says, Put yourselves in array against Babylon round about her. All ye that bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she hath sinned against the Lord. Shout against her round about. She hath given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down. Listen. For it is the vengeance of the Lord. And He cries out, Take vengeance upon her as she hath done. Do unto her. Jeremiah continues in verse 29 of that same chapter. Chapter 50. He says, Call together the archers against Babylon. All ye that bend the bow, camp against it round about. Let none thereof escape. Recompense her according to her work, according to all that she hath done. Do unto her, for she hath been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. And in chapter 51 and verse 24, Jeremiah says, And I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, saith the Lord in that same chapter, again in verse 56. It says, Because the spoiler has come upon her, even upon Babylon, and her mighty men are taken, every one of their bows is broken, for the Lord God of recompenses shall surely requite. And the angel says in Revelation chapter 18 and verse 8, Oh yeah, she, she's got it all together. She's proud. She's arrogant. But verse 8 says, Therefore shall her plagues come, just like we saw in Isaiah, just like we saw in Jeremiah. Her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. You know what that is, y'all? It's everything that she thought could never happen to her. Watch this now. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. Now, now you got to understand something, y'all. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're hot and intense this morning on this Babylon thing. And, you know, Babylon to us in our thinking right here is nothing. you got to understand. Babylon in the tribulation period is a superpower like this world has never imagined. The power that she will possess, her strength... But it says strong. 
is the Lord that judgeth her. Listen, there's no person, there's no nation, there's no system, there's no anything that is going to keep God from doing whatsoever He jolly well pleases to do. And Job said that in Job 42, in verse 2. He said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholding from thee. Whatever you think against Babylon, you can do it, God. In Isaiah 14, verse 27, it says, For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? Hey, once God sets his mind to doing something, who's going to make that not happen? And his hand is stretched out, and who's going to turn it back? Once he begins to let that arm of power go, listen, let me tell you, it doesn't matter who you are or what nation you are, you are not going to make that hand come back. Isaiah 43 and verse 13, Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work... And who shall let it? Who shall prevent it? Who's going to keep it from happening? In Isaiah 46 and verse 10. He says that He is the God declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Every single bit of it. For strong is the Lord God that judgeth her. So... That's the reason for Babylon's destruction, because of the impurity of her sin, because of the immensity of her sin, and because of the impenitence of her sin. Then notice next, Roman numeral 2 on your outline, the response to Babylon's destruction. The response to Babylon's destruction. And what John shows us here is that there's basically going to be two responses that will take place during the tribulation period. First of all, letter A, there are those who watch this whole thing that we've been talking about this morning, they're going to watch that thing come down and they will despair. There are those who despair. And of those who despair, John shows us three groups. And, and, and what's interesting, and I, I realize you guys have not spent the time in Revelation chapter 18 that I have, but man, I'm telling you, the way that God just lays out His book and how it just unfolds, into an outline because of the way that God thinks is just incredible. It's easy to identify these three groups because they all respond with basically the same exact words. Look in the middle of verse 10. And you don't have to worry about your study sheet for just a second. Follow along in your Bible. Look in the middle of verse 10. They say, alas, alas. It's the same word that most of the time in the Bible is translated woe. Woe. Whoa, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city. And, and with amazement, they look, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And then there's another group in verse 16, and watch what they say. Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, and it begins to list how she was clothed. Look at verse 17. For in one hour, so great riches is come to naught. Alas, alas, this great city. And in one hour, God says, one hour. And then look at the third group in verse 19. They say, alas, alas, 
That great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. Three groups who all respond the same exact way with absolute, utter despair. The first group is in verses 9 and 10. And it is the monarchs. The monarchs. These are the, the world leaders, if you will. These are, as verse 9 says, the kings of the earth. And understand that these are the ten kings that we saw back in Revelation chapter 17. And look at verse 12. The ten horns of the beast. That ten nation confederacy. Those kings, those one who, ones who rule Antichrist kingdom under his authority at this time in the tribulation. And verse 9 says, And the kings of the earth... These monarchs who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, watch their response, shall bewail her and lament her when they shall, shall see the smoke of her burning. And, and they see it and, and they see how incredible it is. And it says standing afar off for the fear of the torment. They can't even, they can't even get close to the, the judgment that has come upon her. And they say, alas, Alas, that great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And here are the monarchs, the kings in this, this kingdom of the Antichrist. And at this point in the tribulation, or just prior to this point, they think they are sitting on top of the world. And just like that, God steps in. And it all, every bit of it, comes down in one hour to nothing. And the monarchs of the world bewail. They cry like little kids, man. Because everything that they thought they had, everything that they had invested in, everything they had lived for, you understand this commercial system? You understand what it is? It's their God. And their God, just now before their very eyes, came down. And John says not only will the monarchs despair, but there's a second group who will respond in that same way, and that's the merchants. In verses 11 down through the, the first part of chapter 17, look, look at verse 11. It says, And the merchants of the earth, and you understand... In our terminology, this would be the, the bigwig business people, the, the business yuppity yups, the CEOs of the world, all of the big cheeses of the world. Look, shall weep and mourn over her. They'll be sitting in all over the world, man. They'll be sitting in high-rise penthouse office suites watching it on CNN and as they do like little kids they will weep they will lament what they see taking place before their very eyes and listen what is what's so wild especially for those of us who, who know the Lord Jesus Christ as they're watching this incredible destruction before their very eyes understand that they're not they're not weeping and mourning because of the incredible loss of life that's just taken place there. 
It's not because in a moment's time, countless people of Babylon dropped off to an eternal hell. It's not because of an understanding of Babylon's incredible sin, that immensity of her sin. Verse 11 tells you why they weep and mourn. It's because no man buyeth their merchandise any more. And they understand what's happening. They understand. It's gone. They're shot. Everything that they've lived for. And they grieve and lament and they weep and they mourn because their materialistic passions that God says have intoxicated them, that have caused them to, to lust, as in a, a, an adulterous or a fornication type of a, 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 an affair, those desires can no longer be fulfilled and so they weep and mourn. And you know what they are, y'all? They are the classic example of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26. You remember what He said? For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what is tragic is they watch this economic loss of this commercial city as it's destroyed. And they weep. And in just a matter of time, they too will drop off into a Christless eternity where they will spend all of eternity. They'll leave this life doing the same thing that they will do for all of eternity. Over and over and over and over, Jesus said to the Gospels that in hell there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So, we see the monarchs. We see the merchants and how they weep and mourn. And then beginning in verse 12, He begins to let us know the goods that they'll be trafficking in in the last days. The merchandise, He says of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and, and thyme wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots. Watch this now. And slaves and souls of men. And what he does is he gives us a list there. I just read a list of 28 things that is going to be represented in these merchants and the merchandise and this materialism that, that, that's going to be taking place in, in the tribulation period. And what I want you to see here is that the materialism comes to such a point that it is so demented that the souls of people actually become expendable in their thinking which shouldn't really be too hard for us to imagine should it because we live at a time to where the souls of people in our minds even in the the United States of America has become expendable to where if you get pregnant and it's going to mess up your lifestyle whatever absolutely 
deal in the souls of men. Just wipe it out. When, when I was in Cambodia just whenever a month and a half or so ago, and I didn't tell you this when I got back. It's just, it's so sickening. I, I, I hate to even say it. Parents, I mean, we're living in 2001, y'all. Parents in Cambodia sell their 10 and 11 and 12-year-old daughters. Now, this is not preacher trash that I'm, I'm sharing with you. Go there and see for yourself. Parents sell their 10 and 11 and 12-year-old daughters to be somebody's sexual slave for 200 bucks. So I think maybe it shouldn't be too surprising to us to understand that the materialism of this world is going to be so demented in the next little bit when Babylon comes tumbling down that the souls of people actually become expendable. And it's just really weird, y'all. The more technology that comes into our culture and the more technologically advanced we become, the less we value human life. And that's exactly where the world is moving. You know where it's moving? Right here. And the merchants are going to watch this thing happen and will be mortified. Look at verse 14. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her, just like the kings, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches has come to naught. I mean, they are howling like a, a little spoiled brat throwing a tantrum. And then he shows us a third group who respond with despair at Babylon's destruction. Not only the monarchs and the merchants, but number three, the mariners. The mariners. And these are the ones who transport the goods that the, the, the merchants will be trafficking. And this too is going to be big business. Look at what it says. And every shipmaster and all the company in ships... And sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off. I mean, they can't, none of them can get near it. But all of them respond the same way. They cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. But not only are there those who respond to what's taking place in Babylon 
Not only those who respond with despair, but John shows us letter B. There are those who also respond with delight. There are those who delight. Verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Now listen. What, what's going to happen to this world's system that's going to be represented in, in Babylon here? You've got to understand something, that this is something that the Old Testament's prophesied would take place. It's something that the New Testament apostles predicted. It's something that every single person who is on their way to heaven has prayed for. We have prayed for the kingdom to come. But you see, in order for the kingdom to come to this earth, the world's system must be dealt with. And that's what we're seeing here. And all of the host of heaven, and all of those that have been prophesying it in the Old Testament, all those New Testament apostles that have been predicting this, you know what happens? We all as we see it unfolding. Not because we're seeing the, the judgment of sinners, but because we're seeing the judgment of a system that has been against God and has enslaved people and has sent people to hell. We see that system coming down and we are filled with rejoicing, with delight. So, we've seen the reason for Babylon's destruction, the response to Babylon's destruction. Now John shows us in verses 21 to 24 the record of Babylon's destruction. There's a misprint there on your sheet. It's the record of Babylon's destruction. The record of. And first, John shows us letter A. Here's the record of it, y'all. It will be violently executed. It will be Violently executed. Listen, in case you've missed the intensity here today, when this takes place, it's not like, you know, God just going, eh, whatever. Uh uh. It's going to come with incredible violence. Look at verse 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone. Now, a millstone was what they used in Bible times to grind grain. And it was like four feet or sometimes five feet in diameter and about a foot thick. I mean, this just this massive stone. And check it out. The mighty angel took this stone... And cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. You see, this is what was prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 61 to 64. Look at it. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When thou comest to Babylon and shalt see and shalt read all these words, then shalt thou say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. 
And it shall be when thou hast made an ending of reading this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of Euphrates. And thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her. And they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. And what he does is he prophesies this, this event as this, this angel casts this incredible stone into the sea. And what he says as he casts this thing into the sea is, Hey! Do you see that? Do you see what happened to that stone? That's exactly what's going to happen to Babylon. God is going to take her. He's going to pick her up. And and just like that stone falls into the, the, the sea and there's this incredible splash, it then sinks to the bottom and it's found no more at all. He says, that's exactly what it's going to be like when God says, that's all of Babylon that I can possibly stand. And that leads us to the second thing that John tells us about the record of Babylon's destruction. Yes, it will be violently executed, but let her be. It will also be vengefully extinguished. Vengefully extinguished. Now, Look with me there at the end of verse 21. And this is, I love the way that God does these kind of things. He, he, notice this, this phrase at the end of verse 21. Shall be found no more at all. Now, now the, the first time that the phrase was used, you, you may have missed it because right, we're covering on quite a few verses here today. But look back at the end of verse 14. God tells the merchants at the end of verse 14 that they shall find their merchandise, watch this now, no more at all. Okay, And then he repeats it as he he casts this stone in verse 21, and he says, and it shall be found no more at all. And now look at verse 22. The mighty angel also says, and the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard... No more at all in thee. And no craftsman, of whatever craft he be, shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. Seven times. Seven times, God says, it's going to be found no more at all. And God makes it very clear that Babylon will be vengefully extinguished. Once this takes place, y'all, in Babylon, there will be no more of the normal activities of life that are going to continue. You know what he's just said in these verses? There's not going to be in Babylon any more music at all. No one will ever go to work again. There'll be no preparing of food. That's the sound of a millstone. 
No one preparing food in Babylon anymore. No more lights in the city will ever shine. It's not like they're ever going to recover, as God is saying. And then he says, and no one will ever fall in love again. Ever again in Babylon. It's done. You know what? It's going to be just the way that God prophesied that it would be. In Jeremiah 50, in verse 13, he says, Because of the wrath of the Lord, it shall not be inhabited, but it shall be wholly desolate. Everyone that goeth by Babylon shall be astonished and hiss at all her plagues. In verse 39 of that same chapter, Jeremiah 50, it says, Therefore the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the island shall dwell there, and the owls shall dwell therein. Here's the unclean birds that we were talking about at the beginning. And it shall be no more inhabited forever, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. And in chapter 51 and verse 37, Jeremiah says, And Babylon shall become heaps, a dwelling place for dragons, an astonishment, and in hissing, without inhabitant. And then John shows us a third thing in the record of Babylon's destruction. It will be violently executed. It will be vengefully extinguished. And then thirdly, and, and this, is, this is a word that's going to fit our outline, but it is such a perfect word. And I'll give you the definition for it. It is exactly what God is saying here. But it will be validly execrated. You like that word? See, this is, it's, it's actually vocabulary class as well, y'all. It will be validly executed. Uh, excuse me, execrated. The, the word execrated means to feel or express hatred for. Listen, to curse to detest utterly. You understand? Perfect word here. It's exactly what God is trying to say to us. It will be validly execrated. And God shows us as He wraps up chapter 18 that Babylon is going to get these curses upon her because this is exactly what she deserves. They will be validly Execrated. Look at the second part of verse 23. It says, For thy merchants were great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries... Okay, and this is an interesting word that as you, you follow the usage of this word in the New Testament, it, it has to do with, with, with magic and uh, occult practices. The, the, the word that's translated here, sorceries, is the word pharmakia which is where we get our word pharmacy or pharmaceuticals or drugs. And what you've got is a picture here of the way that the merchants have done this thing is it's not just been big business. There's been occultic practices that have been taking place to lure the world into this whole System that God so utterly detests and curses here. It, it, it has to do, somehow, I'm sure, 
as we see in our culture. It has to do with, with drugs and, and all that is involved in, in, in all of that thing. He says, For thy merchants were great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. And God understands that this world system that is represented in Babylon is that system that is responsible for the blood of the martyrs, of the saints, all down through since the beginning of time. It's been that world system of evil over which Satan is the head. So we've seen the reason for Babylon's destruction. We've seen the response to Babylon's destruction. We've seen the record of Babylon's destruction. And now listen, all of those things are very, very important. And as you can see, a miracle has just taken place in this church. We covered 24 verses today. And you know what? We're out of verses. But we've got one more point. All that we've seen this morning is incredibly important. But if we miss how this actually applies to us, we've missed the significance of why this chapter is in our Bible. And I want you to look in conclusion this morning at Roman numeral 4, our reaction to Babylon's destruction. Our reaction to Babylon's destruction. Now, there are many, many of you that are in this room today who are in Christ. That is, you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And the Bible defines that as we have been placed in Him. We've been sealed by His Spirit and there is no way for us to get out of that, okay? So we are in Christ, and I do think that for all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I think in light of everything that we've seen, that there are some, some major lessons that we need to make sure that we learn this morning. Would you look back in verse 4 of chapter 18? John says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins. Now, let's make sure that we all understand something. If you're new to the Bible, understand that at this point in the tribulation, everything that we're talking about here, we're not here. We've already been removed. We're already in heaven. Okay? This is another group of people that he's talking about here. The tribulation saints. He's saying, come out of her. Come out of that world's system that dominates the world and don't have any part in that system. Come out of her. And for those of us who do know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, is that any different than what the Lord Jesus Christ has continuously told us throughout the entire Bible for the time in which we live? Because Babylon is alive and well right now, y'all. We just don't call it Babylon. What we do is we call it the world. That's what God calls it. It's the world. And God says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Come out of her, my people. 
Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17, this is what he says to us that know the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. That's us. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Here it is. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. God says to us, ladies and gentlemen, that know Christ this morning, the same exact thing He says to these tribulation saints. Come out of her, my people! Why are you living your life as if you're a part of that system? How are those, my kingdom and the world system, how are they connected? He goes on throughout the New Testament. And He says in James chapter 1 and verse 27, Pure religion... And undefiled before God and the Father is this, not only to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, but to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And again, God is saying, once you have received the Lord Jesus Christ and He has made you His people, you can't just crawl back into the world system any longer because it will spot you. It will stain you. That's why he says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's why he comes into the book of James chapter 4 and verse 4 and he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Don't you understand now that you're saved for you to go back and live the same sorry, stinking lifestyle that you used to live before you came to Christ? Don't you understand that that's spiritual adultery, James says? So God says to us this morning, come out of her, my people. Don't go back and live in that system like, like you're a part of it because you're not. You are His people. So we need to realize, number one, that we have been called to be separate from the world. And number two, we need to realize that there will be implications for identifying with the world. The next part of verse 4, he says, And that you receive not of her plagues. Now listen. In the dispensation that you and I live in, you cannot be taken out of Christ. But you do need to understand that when you crawl back into the bed of this world system to commit spiritual fornication and adultery by living the same kind of life you used to live before you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to understand there's implications for that. Eternal ones. No. You won't lose your salvation. But if you'll check it out, and we don't have the time to go there this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
verses 10 through 17, what he's going to talk about is the fact that all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ are living our life right now, and through the life that we're living, what we're actually doing is building a building. And what he begins, a building in heaven that is going to have fire applied to it. And once the fire is applied, that which is made of wood, hay, and stubble will be extinguished. With that which is left will be rewarded. And he says, listen, what's going to happen is there's going to be a group of people that will be saved so as by fire. But you will suffer loss. There are implications for being a believer in Jesus Christ and living like you ain't. Oh yeah, you'll go to heaven. But you will suffer loss. And so what he says that applies very directly to us is come out of her, my people, and be ye not partakers of her sins so that you don't receive of her plagues. And then... And now listen, those of you that do know Jesus Christ, would you do this? Would you just ponder those things right now? And just don't flake out? Search your heart? And pray incredibly for a group of people that is in this room today who are outside of Christ? And listen, there are some things for those of you that are here today that don't know Christ. Oh my goodness, don't just... Get all of the sermon material down. Understand, there is something that God is trying to say to you. And as I began to look at this chapter, what I found is that there are three times in this chapter that it talks about God Himself. And for those of you that are here this morning that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't know God, would you you just make sure that you understand what this chapter teaches us about God, number one, realize God will remember all iniquities. Now, as I showed you before from Isaiah 43, 25, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, He takes pleasure in blotting out our transgressions and will never remember them against us. However, If you are not in the Lord Jesus Christ, just as it says in verse 5, speaking of Babylon, that her sins have reached unto heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities, you must understand today that if you continue to go, as the Scripture says, your own way and refuse to respond to God's invitation for you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to understand God will remember every sin that you have ever committed in your entire life. You see, we we get lulled because God sometimes in His grace and mercy delays His judgment. But the Bible says in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, be sure your sins will find you out. And so do understand today, God will remember all sins. And then the second thing that it says or about God here 
Look at the end of... What's the verse? Hello? 20? Thank you. Glad you're here. Look at what it says. For God hath avenged you on her. For God hath avenged you on her. And I want you to realize, God will avenge all evil. And this is a principle that is laid out throughout the Word of God. God is going to remember all sin and all of the evil. God will avenge. There is coming a day of wrath, and God's wrath will be poured out against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men, the book of Romans chapter 1 says. So understand this morning, God will remember all sin. God will avenge all evil. And then the third thing that I want you to see from the end of verse 8, for strong is the Lord who judgeth her. The third thing I want you to realize this morning is that God's judgment is strong. It is strong. Back in Revelation chapter 6, and you don't need to turn there, would you just listen? He comes through the opening of the the seven seals, and listen to what it says. For the great day of His wrath is come, and then it asks a question, listen to it, and who shall be able to stand? His judgment is strong, and God says when that judgment comes, there will be no one. No one who stands. Now again, without packing up, would you just listen now? Some of your believers in Jesus Christ today, based on what we have seen about our God, today needs to be a day of repentance for some of you because you're back in the world system. Living life, thinking like you used to think and live before you came to know Jesus Christ. And today, God just takes Revelation chapter 18 and says... For those of you that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, do understand that this message today obviously has not been about His grace, His mercy, that is all wrapped around His love. That's who God is. But because that's who God is, you're seeing the other side of the coin. Because God is holy and because God is love, He hates all unrighteousness. And what we're seeing is the end of the story of what happens to the sin that the people of this world love that causes them to be blinded to God's grace and love and mercy as it's extended. And so you know why God puts things like this in the Bible? So that maybe, since you don't want to listen to the fact that He's gracious and loving and merciful maybe you will listen to the fact that He is a God of wrath and a God of judgment and there is coming a day of recompense for every human being that has ever breathed a breath on this planet. And today that holy, loving God extends His arms to you and says, Come.
become one of my people. And you can't do it through anything that you've done or could ever possibly do. That's why God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life so that he could take your sin on the cross so that you could come to him and through the blood that he shed, find the forgiveness of sin so that you can have a relationship with God and have nothing of torment or torture or judgment to fear. But do understand... The end of your own way is the way that God says is the way of destruction, just as it was spelled out for us today in Babylon. Now, Lord, would you please speak to the hearts of of people in this room today? And I want to ask you to speak, first of all, to believers Oh, Lord, we do such a horrendous job of manifesting You in these last days on this planet. And, oh, Lord, forgive us. And may this be a day where we truly are changed because of the truths that You've unfolded for us through this incredible chapter. I do pray that believers will be stopped in their tracks today. Those who are are living according to the world system and finding themselves committing spiritual adultery as they crawl into the world's bed of pleasure and lust and materialism. And Lord, would you please, in the hearts of those that are here today that don't know you, you said that no person could come to the Lord Jesus Christ unless you, Father, draw them. You've made it clear that when you're drawing, you convict and reprove us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And we're praying today that the Spirit of God would reprove people of their sin, of your absolute incredible righteousness, and of the judgment that we've read about that is most certainly to come. And through that, Father, draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning that they may be saved before it's eternally too late. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what a...